Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 28 of the Corona Diaries. Um, chapter 28. Even though H thought it was chapter 28 last week, it's chapter 28 this week. I did. I saved the file as 28 and you did. everything. You did. I don't it's, know what yes. that's going to do. It, going oh, in, in a year's time when I've forgotten it all and I'm trying to find it, if I am. I don't honestly think anybody's going to notice. There'll be chaos. I'll notice. Wow. I'm a stickler for numbers. <laughs> you are. You are. You're all over <laughs> it, aren't Look, you? Look, here's one now. Eight. Carry on. <laughs> Corona Diaries is brought to you <laughs> in conjunction with the number seven and the letters T and Y. <laughs> Although they are all wrong, because we're never knowingly accurate. No, ever accurate. No. So in today's episode of stories that aren't actually really true... <laughs> Before, Did I ever tell you about? To... Anyway, no, go on. Anyway, no. Before you get to before we get to that, I've got something I must do that actually was a message I had that I meant to do a few weeks ago from a chap called Pete Joyce. I don't know where Pete's from, um, and I pre- I'm presuming it's pronounced Joyce, J O Y E S. No. Uh, anyway, and um, he said perhaps you could see your way to asking Mister H the following which has kind of bugged me for 25-odd years ever since I first heard the lyric. What do you imagine would someone who had just had sex with a Tyrannosaurus Rex actually look like? I can answer that in one word. Dishevelled. There you have it, Pete. At best. (laughs) There you have it, Pete. So... She looked, because it was a she, I believe, in the lyric. Yeah, it was. It was indeed. It was surf babe. She looked dishevelled. <laughs> exactly. And we're not going to get into that in any more detail. She but like thank- she'd been dragged thank- through a Tyrannosaurus Rex backwards. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> now that's dishevelled and arguably unsavoury. <laughs> I don't think there's any arguing about that. But there we, there we have it. So the big thing this week, the big news this week, has been the light at the end of the tunnel tour. Yes. Yes, the beat, the beat combo I sing for is, uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a flood of optimism, decided to uh, sell some tickets. And, um, you know, hopefully this time next year we'll be, we'll be, we'll be back in, you know, in a normal world. There'll be a vaccine... It will have gone away and uh, we'll be able to do what we used to do. We'll be able to get in a room together and rub shoulders with each other and have a bloody good time. So provided that that's the case, um, there will be. I think there's two nights at 
Army Odeon or whatever they call it these days. The the um the, the I don't know. The Dyson Mega Theatre or whatever it's <laughs> fucking called these days. Excuse my French. Uh, <laughs> we've we've changed the name so we can take another 10% of your merch. Um, that kind of thing. But whatever yeah. it's... I'm sagging. I, this, I, you are I, sagging a little this morning. I, 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 what I've done is I've renewed my mic stand for a much more expensive one, not realising it's worse. Um so now it just sags, so I'm probably going to need some kind of additional strut. Anyway, what was I saying? Yes, so we're 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 we've yes we've 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 announced the UK tour, and it looks like quite a nice tour. Similar sort of venues as we played on the with friends, uh, Birmingham Philharmonic, which is lovely. Uh, that one down in Bath was very nice. Um, and uh, a few, a few Hull. We haven't been a Hull for a really long no. time. Um, no, back at Bridgewater Hall in Manchester. Yeah, that was a good night. It was a really good night. Um, so uh, yes, I think I might have to take this bloody. Pop. I'm actually watching. <laughs> you can actually see it going down. Yes, I'm, but what, I'm going down with it, and it's slowly you, c- compressing you. all my vertebrae, and I may end up in hospital. <laughs> So I'm going to take this off. <laughs> is it your pop shield? Is it the pop, weight of your pop shield? It's the weight of my bloody pop shield. I've got the weight all of the damage. The weight of my pop shield on my shoulders. Yeah, yeah. That sound you can hear is a pop shield being disconnected and chucked disdainfully the to the floor. the floor. There we go. It's not technically the pop shield's fault, but you know. No, but uh, you know, I'm a petulant singer, isn't it? Yeah, there is that. So that was just UK dates announced so far, wasn't it? More to come. More, more to come. More, to, more dates to come, yes. Right. So keep an eye out, folks. But I understand from what the, the flurry of activity on social media that quite a lot of people got quite excited and a lot of tickets have already been purchased. I so, think we. Uh, I think about 8,000 flew out on day one. So that's, that's better than a poke in the eye of the stick. And thank you very much, everybody. For your face. Something for all of us to look forward to, which is nice. Um, So today we said we would do, based on you saying something last week, we would do the top ten weird things that have ever happened to me. Because I thought that was a really good idea. So I I was really quite taken by that. So you've you've spent odd moment. You've been waking up in a cold sweat thinking, ooh, better write that down. Mm. Um, Yeah. And then... And then we've managed to, in a very spinal tap kind of way, we've managed to get it down to 11. Mm. Which, um, which, yeah, I think we've set the bar quite high because, I mean, I just said, what about being asked if I'd got a gun in, under my coat in Brixton? And you went, that's not even weird compared to the other stuff. So, <laughs> um, so the bar, we- bar must be reasonably high. I, I, I did say that. I did, I did say that. You, you, you trolled a few out and I sort of said, well... <laughs> not weird, not weird. Not weird, not for you, not weird. That's not going to break through. Man walking <laughs> a pig past the kitchen window, not weird. Not no, weird. No, no, we're on Chapter 28. You're going to have to work harder. Mm-hmm. So we've ended up with 11. And what we're going to do is gonna, we're going to count down from 11 uh, and go through these particular stories. Now, some of them... 
Some of them we've done before, so we will we will reference the ones we've done before, but we won't go into too much detail. Some of them have been done before um, on bonus content uh, on the Patreon platform. So for those those purple patrons, you'll have heard a few of them before, and we probably won't touch on those either. Like leave those where they are, um, but that still leaves us with about seven or eight to go through um, that we we're going to start with today. So. In reverse order, starting at number 11 in the top 10 list of things, weirdest things that have happened to Steve Age. Um, I've written down, and I'm going to apologise to Christine in advance, Alice, Alice, who the fuck is Alice, as oh. the first one. Mm. Um, because you told me that you were... Mistaken for Alice Cooper, yeah, in a, in a, in a hotel in Hamburg. Um... I think I had had a few heavy nights on the bounce. Um, I don't know if I'd got any mascara on <laughs> at that point. <laughs> but uh, it could have been it could have been the Brave Tour, in which case it would make more sense because I used to slap all kinds of stuff on my face during the Brave um, theatrics, which were quite often not removed properly afterwards and so bit by bit you start to assume the old alcoholic housewife um image a little bit which tends to get you stopped by the police um and and just generally you know viewed with more more suspicion than even more suspicion than you're normally viewed with um but in hamburg um i was awaiting a fax that's what did it and I think I was in the Hafen Hotel in Hamburg, which is a nice hotel. And I kept going down to reception because, you know, all pre-email and whatnot. Um, and I'd been told the fax had been sent and I kept going down to reception saying, uh, you know, I, be, I believe there's a fax for me. And they kept looking at me and going, and going out the back and shuffling around with the papers and coming back, no, no, nothing. Oh, well, that's strange. Well, it's been sent. Oh, we'll try again in, in 15 minutes. I will. So back to my room and then back down again. <clears throat> this happened a few times. And on about the third time, I said, are you absolutely sure you haven't got anything? And they went, no, Mr. Cooper, there's nothing at all. And I went, Mr. Cooper. <laughs> I thought, oh, shit, they think I'm Alice Cooper. And I, he was in the, I, I, there were some posters on the wall in the town, so I think he was in the hotel somewhere. And they thought I was him. And I thought, I'm really going to have to take it easy. I'm, I, I'm overdoing it. Um, so there we are. And then years later, I was at an awards ceremony with, uh, with Alice. I was sat at the same table and he looked better than I did. <laughs> so I've overtaken him. <laughs> you weren't. You weren't strutting around in Pringles with a golf club casually, you know, sort of... Because uh, he plays a lot of golf, doesn't he, Alice? He's a very good golfer, yeah. but it's a passion for him and he plays every day, even if he's on tour. You know, he, he is to golf what Mark Kelly is to running. You know, tour bus pulls into town, he gets off and he's off. <laughs> he gets off with his clubs and Mark, you know, runs into a cement truck. <laughs> Still love that story. <laughs> so, but but just for the record, you weren't wandering around in a pair of plus fours then. I was not. You, no, no. But I I I, th I think I might have 
being the worst for several heavy nights on the bounce and possibly right. a bit of smudged mascara, which perhaps led them to the... Um, the I, I didn't have a python around my neck. <laughs> Decapitated <laughs> not, head. Not to my knowledge. It could have been that I'd picked one up on the way down the stairs that I wasn't aware of, you know. Um, so right. that was weird. I thought so, it was sort of weird. I mean, it doesn't happen to most people, does it? Well, no. No. Well, it's never happened to me. No, like QED. Yeah, yeah. And and j- so just so you're aware, because we have done a little bit of a filtering exercise this morning, that's the kind of thing that made it just outside the top ten yes. of weirdest things that have happened to H. Yes, being bust, followed by the police didn't even get, get in there. No, no. On on multiple occasions, didn't make it in there. No. Right. Um, so number Tough. ten, number ten proper... Yes. Falling off the bus in front of Gabby Rosler. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I'd, I'd met Gabby Rosling when we were uh, promoting the No One Can single and we, we did a telly at TVS uh, back, way back in the way back on the Holidays in Eden tour and she was, um, she was the, you know, on the show, she was the person interviewing us um, when she was, you know, young very young um and she confided in me during that interview that that no she thought no one can was the the most beautiful song she'd ever heard um which was nice and then i met her again on that um the virgin radio uh, launch party um when virgin radio thought it was a rock station for the first three weeks it was broadcasting and at the launch party, they'd invited Mike Rutherford and uh, Paul Carrack and Carl Wallinger was there from World Party and Kirsty McGall was up on stage and I was up on stage. Um, that's off the top of my head. But there was it was quite a it was quite a um, you know a, a rock royalty kind of Jeff Beck was was there somewhere as well. Um, and that was the occasion when I I congratulated Steve Lillywhite on on Kirsty McCall being pregnant, only to discover she wasn't. Um, and then we went over the road, and 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 Gabby was in the cafe over the road and introduced me to Chris Evans, which was sweet of her. Um, and I never saw her again for years. And then I went to Portugal on. Um, you know, I flew to Portugal um, to do something. I think it was an interview or something. And I got got off the plane, got on the bus to the terminal because for whatever reason, you know, Lisbon, they always park the planes nowhere near the terminal. It's all pretty, it's all pretty dreadful flying to Portugal in my experience. Um you can often wait three hours for your bags and all that. But I digress. Anyway, so I got I got on the bus from the from the plane and realised I was standing next to none other than Gabby Rosslyn. So, hey, hello, Gabby, how are you doing? And she'd no idea who I was. Um, so that was a bit tense. She probably thought it was a Alice Cooper. Or Alice Cooper. <laughs> or some kind of random stalker. She probably gets them. Uh, and she sort of said, oh, who are you? And I reminded her who I was, which helped a bit. And we we chit-chatted 
um, as the bus made its way from the aeroplane to the terminal. And then uh, I said, oh, anyway, you know, anyway, lots of luck, see ya. And I got off the bus, the, the, the doors opened and I got up the bus right in front of it and fell straight on my face. Um, we're dropping my bag and all my bits and bobs skittering across the tarmac. So that was embarrassing. Did she offer um, to come and help? I don't know if it was weird, to be honest. Was that weird? It's not that weird, is it? It's just embarrassing. No, she didn't. Well, she just sort of stepped over me. <laughs> I don't think that's weird either, really. Oh, you poor man. No, she didn't do that. <laughs> Can I help? <laughs> that's showbiz, folks. <laughs> how quickly, how quickly you've been forgotten. Yes. By Gabby yeah, you have to care, as Beard oh. once said to me oh. when I bought oh. her a drink. So, just going slightly back, is there a reason why you thought Kirsty McCall was pregnant? Well, you know, she put a bit of weight on. Oh, right. She was looking a bit round, or rounder okay. than I'd remembered seeing her on top of the pops or anything. Right. And so, I mean, I genuinely thought she was in, in the club. And congratulated Steve. Uh, and he kind of looked blankly back and went, what do you mean? And I thought, oh, my God. Because I'd always wanted to meet Steve Lillywhite. I was totally in awe of the guy. Um, and John Arneson, our manager, knew Steve because Steve had done a record of one of, one of his other artists years before. So John knew Steve fairly well and I didn't. And John had just introduced me to him and I was in that kind of, oh, my God, I'm talking to Steve Lillywhite. And that was almost the first thing I said to him. So that was that. I haven't seen him much since. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not not oh. starting well, this list, is it? <laughs> really? No. No, oh. God. The much, the much missed and quite brilliant Kirsty McCall as well. Mm. Yeah, she, what a singer! Yeah, oh. what a lovely voice she had. What a songwriter! Yeah, as well, mm. uh, with a unique take on the world. Mm. Oh, she was fantastic. Yeah, um, Steve. Yes. I mean, I, I heard an interview with Steve about the fairy tale of New York and how uh, just what a brilliant singer she was technically. And and how you know he persuaded the Pogues to let him take the take um you know take a, a slave reel home when they were when they were making the record and he said do you mind if Kirsty has a go at a backing vocal and they went no no, no that would be great you know and not really being prepared for the fact that she'd do a lead vocal. <laughs> <laughs> And um, and apparently Shane McGowan had to really up his game, you know, because he'd already done a lead vocal and it just sounded dreadful <laughs> compared to hers. So he he, he he said he did do some more takes uh, after that, just just you know, just to be allowed on the record. <laughs> <laughs> but wow, that's, you know, that's got to wind you up, hasn't it, a little bit? Because the fairy tale of New York wasn't even about. It wasn't a Christmas song. It didn't have yeah. that lyric when they they'd had it they'd had it kicking around for years and and um, it had various other lyrics on it because it's a beautiful piece of music as well, you know. 
You know, and the it's really lovely. Um, so it became a Christmas song really late on in its in its evolution, and then at the very very you know at the death almost, Steve suggested Kirsty sing on it, and what would it have been without her? You know, yeah. it wouldn't have been what it is at all. No, indeed. Indeed, one of those magic moments. Uh, number nine in in the list um, is the near miss at Reykjavik when you were in the helicopter during the the dryland video. Yeah, shoot. that I mean that was a proper near miss, and the pilot, as it turned out, was of the helicopter was totally unaware that he was on the same flight path as this incoming. I think it was a seven three seven or something. Um, which was landing at Reykjavik Airport. He'd been given clearance to cross the the flight path by um, air traffic control. Who the hell had that bright idea? I don't know. But but um, we so we, so so we were we were coming in this helicopter, and I was sat behind the pilot, looking out the window to my right, and I could see this thing coming in, and I'm thinking, well, he's bound to have seen it. He's bound to have seen it. I'm thinking, I don't think he's seen it. You know, because you don't want to prod, prod a helicopter pilot unexpectedly no. on the shoulder. That's not in your interests either. No. <laughs> <laughs> thinking, well, I'm not going to tell him. <laughs> I'm not going to go, ah, what about that? Um, but in the end I did, you know, and he took immediate evasive action and he sort of turned this helicopter sideways and got out the got out of the way of this um this airliner that would have been quite a glamorous rock and roll death actually mm. um i bet gabby would have remembered you if that had happened <laughs> well i wouldn't have fallen off the bus in front of her well no you wouldn't no you wouldn't i wouldn't have had that um, pleasure um so that was a weird thing yeah that doesn't happen to most people um no. in fact being helicoptered onto a glacier on top of a mountain uh that nobody else has stood on before doesn't happen to a lot of people. No. And while we're on helicopter stories, actually, because we didn't put this in, <laughs> but it kind of talks a little bit, because you you say, no, tell you what, we'll do it after the diary. Say to say to me festival, helicopter festival, and we'll come back. Festival and helicopter. Yeah, because that, that that we were talking earlier, weren't we? And yeah. Because you asked me about festivals last week, and I said I couldn't remember anything about festivals. <laughs> And then, of course, later on in the week, I thought, oh, my God, what about that? And, oh, my God, what about that? And, oh, my God, what about that? So I thought of a few interesting Right. We'll we'll, we'll throw a festival story in after the diary. I've got a couple of questions for Daria, but we'll throw a, a festival story in as well. So say <laughs> Helicopter Festival, we'll do that. Right. So num- number eight on your list. Yeah. Um, playing Brave to Miles Copeland whilst on your bed. Yes, um, that was at um, Marowat where we recorded Brave. That was Miles's chateau. Um, he he turned up one night um, unexpectedly at, at this uh, castle in the Dordogne while we were there. Um, and uh, I got talking to him and he said, oh, what, what are you guys doing? What are you recording? And we we said, well, we've got this, this, this album we... 
we it's going to be a bit of a concept album and we've made we've got this demo of it it's not finished yet but but it sort of runs in order and it's starting and it talks about it. it's all based on this girl who was on a bridge um in bristol the the, the suspension bridge the seven bridge uh, and then appealed from the police to see if anybody knew who she was which happened, you know, which actually happened in about 85 or 86 when I was making a record. And so I've written this piece of fiction about what, what might have been and it's sort of like a, a little series of postcards from her life. And you know, oh, sounds interesting, you know, can I hear it? And I said, well, yeah, I've got a system set up in my bedroom if you want to come and have a listen. So he said, sure. So I walked him across the garden to my tower and uh, up the spiral staircase and uh and he sat on the he sat on the end of my bed while i lay on the bed um and listen you know and, and i played him the brave demos and i remember thinking well this is a bit unusual <laughs> doesn't happen every day <laughs> this doesn't happen every day i mean miles is a legend as well you know it's, it's, so i you know i'm playing i'm i'm playing our new demos to this living Legend who has this fearsome reputation as well. You know, Miles had a bit of a fearsome reputation when he was managing the police. Um, you know, nobody messed with him. And there he was on the end of my bed listening to our demos, looking like every inch like Andy Warhol, because I think Miles always tried his very best to look like Andy, Andy Warhol. <coughs> he kind of had the haircut and everything. Um, but I always got on very well with Miles. I'll but that, but do you think being that was his house, wasn't it? Well, no, it was one of his houses. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. But but I was uh, that. I mean, I was in the tower at the bottom of the garden. That right. was a separate part of the of the chateau, right. uh, which became Shea Hogarth. Right. Um, and Miles actually, uh, he, he, you know, he would he would have lived in the main house when he was there. Yeah. But he used to do he used to do really strange things. I mean, he, he used to arrive he arrived one weekend, and spent the whole weekend grouting some tiles. Um, Why you know, was he not very good at it? And he was <laughs> there was a lot of them, and, oh, he, right, okay. and, he, and he was just like covered in plaster dust and stuff. You huh. know, so he'd got he'd bought this chateau that needed a lot of renovation. And I think as a kind of Zen exercise, he used to do it himself. And he would he would come at weekends, and you know, with hammers and chisels and tools, and he'd be you know he'd be tinkering away in the, some just, some wing of the castle somewhere, and uh, just popped in to sort the downstairs cloak. <laughs> exactly. Just ignore me. Just yeah. Ignore me. And you kind of go. That'll be Miles Copeland then doing a bit yeah. of grouting. Doing a bit of grouting. Who'd have thought? <laughs> and uh, I remember him saying, "My God." my bedroom uh, when he first came because we turned his bedroom in the control room and it was a bedroom when we arrived and not for long because I think the the bed had been kind of was leaning against the wall and was mixing desks and cables and sh ab shit absolutely everywhere um, multi-cores and bits of gear and detritus <laughs> and he, just, he, just, he walked in one day and he just, he just, he just stood in the door and went my God, my bedroom. Um, <laughs> Shut the door and went again. There's, that's another T-shirt to go with. <laughs> <Yeah. that. laughs>
Oh dear, went downstairs, mixed a bit more grout. Bless him. <laughs> Did he like it? I, yeah, well, he was encouraging. I, you right. know, he was encouraging. Well, he I mean, probably, I, probably wanted you to finish and bugger off. After listening to sort of ten sting compositions, he was probably underwhelmed. Because <laughs> uh, I should imagine his bar was quite high. Right. You know, yeah. I mean, Sting's a genius. So he, he'd been. I guess he'd got used to that. Right. So there we have it. Number eight, playing brave, Tomas Copeland on your bed, which actually was his bed, but we're not going to get. It was one practice. of his many beds. One well, of his beds. I don't think he'd ever slept in it. No. No. I'm not sure I did. Right. Um, number seven on the list is um, um, gimp action <laughs> in the hotel room next door. But we, we're we not going to cover this because, and the reason being, one, it's a family show, folks, um, and, and I don't think I could raise myself to this at 10.30 in the morning, but also we have covered this on a um, on an odds and sodcast, which is one of the extra bits of content we do for... The patrons. So we're going to leave gimp. We're going to tantalise you with those two words, gimp action, and then we're going to leave it and we're going to move on. Yes, I've just all I can say is Marcellus Wallace, Pulp Friction. And if you know what that is, you've got some idea of what we're talking about or what H is talking about. Fortunately, I have no knowledge of it at all, apart from what I've heard. What, so, hap- what happened to Zed? Zed's dead, baby. Zed's dead. <laughs> Great line that. <laughs> It's a great film. Yeah. Um, so that brings us to number six, and we're going to we're going to stop with this one, and we're going to revisit and finish because there's no way we're going to get this in one episode. So we'll we'll do the we'll do the top five um, next week. But number six is Cat Stevens on a plane. Oh. Yeah. Well, for whatever reason, the, the FBI uh, decided that that Cat Stevens was a threat to the United States of America. Um, probably because he changed his name to Yus- Yusuf Islam and therefore must be a suicide bomber. Um, and he'd been allowed to board the plane in Heathrow because he's Yusuf Islam and he's a singer-songwriter and poses no threat to anyone. Um, so so the, the British had allowed him onto the plane, as you would. Uh, I think he was probably in first class because I never saw him. Um, all, all, all we knew was um, we were supposed to land in Washington D.C. en route to Mexico City at two in the afternoon, and at two in the afternoon we began our descent. And I looked down and thought, "This is in Washington." Um, you know, there were lines of military aircraft on the runway. I'm thinking, "This ain't Washington, D- Dulles Airport." And we landed, and instead of them telling us, nobody told the passengers what was going on. Uh, we all sat on the tarmac for, I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes with no communication or instructions whatsoever other than to remain seated with our seatbelts on. So, you know, it was a nervous situation. I was thinking, what the hell's going on here? Are we being hijacked? Because uh, we're not where we're supposed to be and nobody's saying anything and, uh, you know, and the I, I pressed the stewardess button and the stewardess came and I said, what's going on? Oh, um, we don't know yet. The pilots, the captain's just clarifying the situation. I go, come on, what's going on? Um, and, and then she said, well, um, I think, I believe they're refueling. I said, no, they're not. What's going on? 
And she 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 got quite shirty with me because because <laughs> I was concerned about my own immediate death, uh, which you know which she thought was unreasonable. Anyway, um, cut a long story short, the captain came on and said that the FBI had taken over his plane when he was halfway across the Atlantic Ocean and diverted it to Bangor in Maine, which is about as far north in the USA as you mm. can get. Um, and he landed at a military airfield. It wasn't tooled up for for passenger aircraft. It certainly wasn't tooled up for Boeing 747s. Um, and we all sat there and then eventually he said we, 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 we needed to deplane, take all our things with us and so we all got off this plane um, down the down the staircase because it you know it didn't have the it didn't have the sort of pneumatic um, corridors that normally push up to jumbo jets so so down umpteen flights of stairs to get off and then into this sort of shed where they did passport control and I'd got this little camera and I was taking pictures and I, and uh, I got the old hand on the shoulder you know. You're not to take any pictures. Oh, all right, you know. And they were pulling people out of the queue. There was a guy with a Pakistani passport in front of me who I was talking to and they just whipped him out into a side room. I mean, they were being really ruthless. Um, they were treating it like a terrorist, you know, a, a suspected terrorist incident. And got through, we had, we had got all, all our suitcases were then searched and then we finally, finally got down this escalator and back into the main sort of uh, arrivals area of, of, of this airport. And there was a guy at the bottom of the escalator in a little uniform um, with a little sign saying, here to help or something like that. <laughs> so the black guy and I kind of sidled up to him and said, excuse me, I said, just between you and me. What's going on? And he said, well, just between you and me, he said, they've arrested Cat Stevens and his daughter. I said, what? FBI have, have arrested him. Um, suspicion of terrorism. Um, and so they'd hauled, they'd hauled him off. Um, and I think it's because of... Something he'd once said on a chat show in the like seventies. Um, after you know, a typical sort of tabloid sort of show where where they wanted to talk to him about his conversion to Islam, and they were trying to they were trying to intimidate him on TV about you, you know Islam says that people should be beheaded if this or if that you know and do you concur with that and he said well no, well no obviously no I'm a pacifist and they said yeah yeah but can you imagine a crime that someone could commit that 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 would be justified and, he, and he's going well I, I don't know really you know and they pushed him and pushed him and pushed him and pushed him until he said well well under certain circumstances yes and because he'd said that when absolutely forced into a corner, mm -hmm. then some bright spark in, America, in the US government and put him on a list. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure he'd been to America 50 times since then. But on this yeah. particular occasion, it was post 9-11. Yes, yeah, heightened sense. And, and they were, you know, they were just like cats on a roof. Yeah. Um, so we just had this appalling trip to Mexico City that took 37 hours to get there because we were in Bangor Airport for seven, four, was it seven or four, four and a half, five hours I think. Mm. We hung around while they searched the plane and went through it for bombs and I mean he's a singer-songwriter for mm. God's sake. Um, but they had standard procedures so it all had to be searched and then they eventually let us back on the plane at 10 in the evening and I think we'd la- we landed at 2 in the afternoon um so we didn't get down to washington for another two or three hours i think we got to washington about one in the morning by which time we'd missed all the connecting flights we should have been on to mexico had to sleep on the floor um and then um the following day they'd put us on another flight north to uh to chicago to go to Mexico via Chicago from Washington, which was totally the wrong way. And when we got on that plane, there was a technical fault with the plane and we sat on the airport for four hours because <laughs> the pilot's seat had broken. And they, but, but they got a new one. You can only imagine how long it takes to change a pilot's seat on, on, an, on a Boeing aircraft. It ain't quick. Um, so there we are. So that was weird. And they, they kicked him out, didn't they? they he, he got turned around and sent back home, didn't he? They deported him, yeah. 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 They and you were on the radio. I remember hearing, I remember hearing you on, on BBC I bro- Radio. I broke the story because as soon as this, this guy under here to help sign told me in corporate that, that they'd arrested <laughs> Kaz Stevens, I got straight on the phone <laughs> uh, <laughs> to Lucy back in England and said, you'll never guess what's going on here. Um, so she went, ooh, ooh I'm, oh, I'll get on to Reuters quite away. That, you know, right away, that's a, that's a news story. So she got into them and then my phone never stopped ringing all night, so I never got any sleep. Channel 4, I think it was Channel 4 News, and I, I spoke to for about 40 minutes and then America Today, you know, and all of this. Um, so I suppose it was good for our profile. <laughs> 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 yeah, that will look back. That was the moment when everything changed. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, yeah. well, you know, Yusuf and I are like, like that these <laughs> days. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll stop there uh, at number six with, with five to go. We'll revisit next. And, and we'll, we'll jump to Diary, um, which this week, I believe, takes us to Mexico first. Oh, what a lovely place to be. Uh, as we were talking about Mexico. Oh, the Auditorio Nacional, yeah. Wow, what a gig. That's my that's yeah. my favourite or possibly joint favourite gig on the planet. And we, we, we haven't played there for years and years and years, but it's just a, the best gig, best theatre. Whoever designed it was a genius. Well, you do rather say that in the piece. So mm. uh, we'll, we'll let that one... We'll, we'll kick into that. I'll hand over to you. Um, and we're going to be with take us back to Saturday the 18th of July 1992, I guess. Don't think it mentions the shirt. 
I had a really nice silk Catherine Hamnet white shirt that I used to wear and it got torn off me at that gig by the front row, which was, oh. you know, a bit of a Tom Jones moment, but uh, very depressing. Couldn't get another one. Oh, dear. That was the auditorium, nothing or not. <laughs> well, let's, let's head there now. Get in front of 8,000 Mexicans. Don't get much better than that. Saturday, 18th of July, Mexico City, Auditorio Nacional. Rose at nine and had a spot of breakfast with Steve R before leaving with driver Jose and promoter's rep Ingrid for the market. She said she knew of a market which sells fine glass and lead lampshades and would take me there. When we arrived, I immediately saw the perfect article and after browsing around, I returned to haggle, it is expected, and have it packed. During the process, I met the manager of the stall who offered me coffee laced with Kahlua. Oh dear, drinking again. I had to be at the show for midday for sound check, so I was eager to collect said lampshade, which had been taken away to be packed. When it returned, it had taken the form of a parcel the size of a dog kennel, decided I was going to worry about how to get it home tomorrow, and headed off to the Auditorio Nacional, a beautiful modern theatre of huge proportions and without doubt the largest stage on which I have stood. Playground sized and here comes playtime. I enjoyed soundcheck immensely. At least half of the stage is in front of the PA and the acoustics of the place are perfect for electric music so I had the pleasure of monitoring the sound out front. I stamped around the place singing my head off all afternoon and I can't remember ever enjoying a sound check so completely. I was concerned lest the show should be less pleasurable but I needn't have worried. As in Rio, the warmth streamed from the loud and spirited Mexican audience and gave wings to our emotions. Pete T was particularly animated and played brilliantly. Steve R was having a ball and I was in seventh heaven with reserves of seemingly unlimited energy despite the altitude. What an audience. What a theatre. What a sound. It's hard to describe the ultimate high, especially when it recurs so many times in this book. Without seeming to exaggerate, you had to be there, on my shoulder, taking it in. It was fabulous. After the show, we were transported to another club for pizza and celebratory drinkies with record company and promoter. By this time, I was physically wasted, so we didn't stop too long. Sunday, 19th of July, Mexico City. Rose at nine and breakfasted alone. No one else seemed to have made it out of bed. It was a lovely morning, so I went for a walk and had Irish coffee at a cafe out in the street. Came back to the Stofa Presidente and checked out, clutching my dog kennel. We were driven to the airport and with some apprehension I watched helplessly as they covered my parcel with fragile stickers and checked it in. We had an hour to spare so we installed ourselves in the bar restaurant which is my favourite in the world. Good music, video and food. 
Said heartfelt goodbyes to Michelle from EMI, Ingrid from Ocesa, the promoters, and Francisco, the ever-present airport manager. And after paying extra cash to be allowed on the plane, this is Mexico, flew home. Monday, 20th of July, home. Ifty, my regular driver, had brought his boss, Jenny, to Gatwick to share the driving. Went home via Brackley to drop off my shirts, etc. at the dry cleaners. Lost the front bezel from my watch, which had been dropping off regularly since May. Got home around 12.30, just before Dizzy got back from Yorkshire with Crompton and Hargreaves, my nicknames for Niall and Sophie. Dished out prezzies and spent the rest of the day having carpets laid. I had to clear the furniture from the music room and fixing the undamaged lampshade on the kitchen ceiling. It looks lovely. What year was this? 92. And here we are, 30 years later. It's hanging in my new kitchen. Tuesday, 21st of July. Home to Rome. Picked up at two and taken to Heathrow via Steve Rothery's house near Aylesbury. The two of us arrived at the terminal and waited around for Louise Vase, who was to nursemaid us through the Italian promotional schedule in her own inimitable fashion. Had a large Baileys in the club lounge and chatted to Ms Vase about her performing a similar function recently for Wilson Phillips. Being the sons and daughters of members of the Mamas and the Papas, and having international hits in their own right, they were doing the promo by private jet. By the time we arrived in Rome Airport, it must have been around eight in the evening. We were met by Maria Luisa from EMI, who suggested that we go to a restaurant on the beach to have dinner before checking into the Cavalieri Hilton. Had a pleasant dinner in a restaurant called Rio and later visited the adjoining club and listened to quote, the worst band in the world, unquote, till we couldn't stand it any longer. Checked into the hotel around midnight and made arrangements with Louisa to do a bit of Rome in the morning, as interviews don't start until two. I'll call you when I get up, I said. Wednesday, 22nd of July, Rome, promotion, Cavalieri Hilton. The phone was ringing in the middle of the night, it was Louise. Oh dear, why can't she be calling at this hour, I thought. Until she pointed out that it was in fact one in the afternoon and interviews will commence in one hour. Phew, the old Italian blackout shutters had done it to me again. Got up and opened them to reveal a hot sunny day in the millionaire's playground below. The phone rang again and I arranged to have lunch with Maria Luisa who was downstairs waiting for me in reception and probably had been all morning. When I got downstairs, I couldn't find her, or Louise, anywhere, so drank cappuccinos for England until the interviewers started showing up at two o'clock. I'd missed lunch and I wasn't likely to get a break from here on in. By 4.30 I was beginning to wobble, so a club sandwich was procured and wrapped up for takeaway, and I ate it in the car to Rome Airport. Whoever wrapped up said sandwich took the additional precaution of sitting on it afterwards, so I spent the journey showering bits of crisps all over the place. Had a beer at the airport and chatted to Louise, who seems to be getting increasingly eccentric, bless her. I approve. 
flew to Milan early evening and arrived at the Hotel Bonaparte, courtesy of Germano, my favourite Italian, only to discover that I'd left my address book on the plane. Bollocks. Went out for dinner in Milan with Piero, Marco, Germano, Louise and Steve R. Had a drink afterwards in a heavy metal pub and after returning to the hotel went for a walk around the Duomo Piazza before retiring. In bed by three. Thursday, 23rd of July, Milan. Picked up at 11 by Germano and taken to the EMI office, which is one of the most beautiful of their offices worldwide, rivalled only by the beautiful one in Mexico City. Spent the day being interviewed by, among many others, the Italian fan club. Claudio had tracked down my address book, My Hero, and returned it during the interview. Don't know how he did that. Cheers, Claudio. After a day of interviews, Germano took us to Milan Centre for a tea-time vibe-out in the late afternoon sun. We also visited his father's clothes shop, where I would have bought shoes, but they didn't have them in my size. Black lace-up espadrilles. Woo, weird and wonderful. After drinks, we had ice creams and licked our way back to the hotel. I split for a two-hour snooze before going out to dinner. Pizza with the fan club. Claudio had hired a basement room in a club for later. There was mucho dodgy PA and backline, so Rothers and I sang a couple of songs for the small gathering of fans assembled. In the end, I think we played for well over an hour, maybe two, drank lots and lots, and went to bed. And we're back. <laughs> and we've had Mexico and I believe a couple of bits of Europe and um, and it was quite an, quite a short little diary entry. I, I, must have, I must have thought we were going to ramble on about weird things. So quite a short diary entry and a, and a belter of an entry coming next week. Um, uh, but yes, very nice. So I have a couple of questions and then we must finish with that uh, festival story. Helicopter Festival, sorry. First question from me. Do you still have the lampshade that was packaged like a dog kennel? I do, I do, and you've you've sat beneath it. It's hanging in my kitchen. Oh, is yeah. it that one? Yeah, it's that one. That, that, that's the one that came from Mexico. It is, it is rather beautiful, that one. It is, it's lovely, and it's quality. It's sort of, it's really heavy. In fact, we, <laughs> we had... Uh, friends over one night from across the road and um uh james and nick and james got, james got up at one point um from the seat at the table hit his head on it and it, <laughs> it fell off the ceiling with an enormous because <laughs> um, i had fastened it up there in the first place and done a pretty shoddy inferior job uh, and Should so have got Miles Copeland round. This whole thing fell. Yeah, you didn't know how yeah, to do it. Yeah, it fell on the bloody kitchen table and didn't even break. I mean, the glass is so thick. I think there's oh. a couple of cracks in some of the stained panels, but um, it was it was largely unscathed. And I fastened it up properly after that. You can swing on it now. Right. Okay. Um, well, I'll do that next time I come round. <laughs> I'll join you. 
<laughs> but it is a beautiful thing, isn't it? You can attest. It is a beautiful you thing. I didn't know which one it was, but I do know which one it is now. It is a beautiful thing, yes. Maybe yes. I should. I'll upload a picture to picture. Instagram. Picture. It probably yeah. is one already somewhere. And then the other thing, um, you mentioned in the diary that you saw the worst band in the world. <laughs> Again. But you've already mentioned that you've seen the worst band in the world. So this is the worst band in the world, uh, part two. They might have been worse than the worst band in the world, actually. <laughs> right. A particular genre? Are we back in hair metal? They're usually kind of really rotten. rotten. I can't remember. I can't, I can't honestly remember. Um, but, you know, <laughs> normally you've just got to escape them so so fast uh, that they don't they don't stay long in in the memory. Right. Okay. I, I certainly couldn't name them. I'm a, all that's going to happen now is I'm going to mention every time you put the worst band in the world in the diary. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sensing not, it's going to appear. I'm not going to insult hair metal because I got I got thumped for that. I got I got Did a you? note of complaint from one of the from one of the purples. He said, "What's wrong with what's wrong with hair metal?" And, and, and well, nothing. No, nothing. Love it. Well, yes. Particularly <laughs> as you bear such a resemblance to Alice Cooper. I have got care. hair. Yes. I don't, you know, I don't know. It's going to, it'll either drop out or I'll get rid of it at some point. I'm done the Andy Warhol wig. <laughs> There's a thought. Right, so let's finish, let's finish for 28 with the remembered festival story that also involves a helicopter. <laughs> right that was the in that was now we we were asked to do a um i think there was an international space day thing that was um something to do with we've got we've got fans in space um most of the time uh, they're either in space or they're on their way uh, or just come back and um we were we were invited to do this big festival at, at this site, which is next to Cologne Airport, which was an an open day for um, the whatever it is European Space Agency, and I think the German Air Force had because I met this guy there as well. He was a he was a pilot F F what are they call F something or other fighter jet pilot, um, and he. Uh, I had to go in his plane. He didn't. He, I wasn't. He wasn't allowed to fly me about in it. But um, I sat in the navigator's seat um, behind him in this uh, this F whatever it was F sixteen. I think it might have been. Um, and he ended up giving me a pair of his boots because he was wearing these really cool boots. These these uh, pilots' boots, and. Um, he was the son of the head of the Luftwaffe, who I was sat next to um, at a at a trestle table doing a press conference for it the day before, and he was called Kurtz, just like in Apocalypse Now, K U R Z. Uh, I thought, wow, I'm sat next to Mr. Kurtz, and he was the head of the Luftwaffe, whatever that's called. You know, the what's the head of the I don't know what the head of the Luftwaffe's official title is, but he was it, which was far out. Uh, you know, um, yeah, don't mention the war. Um, and um, he, I think his son was this guy, what was his name? Nice guy. Anyway, I got talking to his son and was a navigator. 
And because he was the head of the Luftwaffe and his son was a navigator, they used to occasionally sign out fighter jets just for jollies. And he used to fly it and his son would be behind him, you know, navigating because it, it needed two guys, the, the, these F-16s needed two guys to fly. And he used to he used to fly starfighters, which were known as widow makers because so many of them crashed. Um, so we're talking seriously macho, not, not job pilots here. Mm. Anyway, I took a shine to his boots. And by that, I don't mean I shone his shoes for him. What I mean was I coveted his footwear. Uh, and uh, he got these really cool sort of like, they're like Doc Martens, but they're, they've got a zip. They've got a zip straight up the front. And then these, I mean, they're really cool. And only German fighter pilots have them. And I said, those boots are very cool. And he said, oh, I'll, I'll sign you out a pair and send you some. I said, you can't, you can't. And he went, yeah, no, I will. I said, God, that'd be amazing. So I gave him my address and he was as good as his word. And Sophie, my daughter, saw them and said, Dad, they're the coolest boots I've ever seen. Can you get me a pair? I said, I shouldn't think so, the German fighter pilot's boots. But I asked him anyway and he sent us some, you know, some little ones. So they must have guys with small feet flying planes in Germany. Uh, so she's got a pair and I've got a pair and uh, I've still got them because they don't wear out. Um, and they're really flat. They're really unusual because they're designed for flying fighter jets, not for really walking around in. But they're very cool. Anyway, I digress. Um, Just a little. We, <laughs> we were playing this festival. <laughs> I had a go in his plane. I keep thinking he was called Ifty. He wasn't called Ifty. He had a name with then a nickname that ended with a Y. It'll come back to me far too late for this podcast, of course, as most things do. And <laughs> to be uh, <in> thirty-seven. <laughs> and and yeah, so I got his boots, and um, and then in the evening we were playing this big open air festival, and because it was a sort of space day. Oh, and the other interesting thing was we I got to go in the. Um, that plane, the Zero-G plane that, that they use for um, zero-gravity experiments, um, the, there's a thing called the Zero-G, and that was there as well. Um, but I didn't, again, again, I didn't get a fly in that. Uh, I, I was going, let me have a go, let me have a go, go on, go on, go on, let me have a go. And they went, sure, sure, yeah, well, we'll book you in. But they never did. Um, and in the evening, they, they decided that if if I wanted, they could helicopter me onto the stage to come on stage. And I thought, yeah, that's cool, isn't it? So I went, count me in. So um, we I can't remember what we were starting with. We were starting with This Town or A Hundred Nights or something. That, this, we're probably starting with This Town, something, something quite rock and roll. And the idea was to get the band playing the groove, you know, and thrashing around the this rock and roll groove, whereas where yours truly would appear, godlike, from the sky in a helicopter and get out in his tight pants, strut over to the stage and start singing. <laughs> so that was the idea. So I'm sat in the back of the... I'm, I'm struggling to see why that appealed to you. I really, I really am. So I sat in this helicopter at the perimeter of this festival, ready to go, 
and and they've, they've got you know tour managers got it all worked out as soon as the band's on stage you get the call you know they'll kick up the groove and you'll 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 come in da, da, da. so uh so so the helicopter pilots got the the rotors are going around and i'm ready to go and i'm all keyed up and i'm in my stage clothes and then we get ian mosley's gone for a poo what? Mosley's gone for a poo. Hold everything. So, so I'm sat at the back of this helicopter waiting while, and I'm getting a blow-by-blow, moment-by-moment report of how Ian Mosley's poo is getting on. And it's like he's, he's almost at the portaloo now. He's, he's in the portaloo. He's in the... He's in the portaloo. Okay, he's in the portaloo. Let me know when he's out of the portaloo. Will do. And then he's still in there, still in there. Must be a must be a tough one, you know. And on it goes. And so the back of the helicopter. Anyway, eventually, eventually Mosley gets gets out of the loo, and I get the 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 eagle has left the portaloo, um, and the eagle's on stage. The eagle's on the drum stool. Um, <laughs> the band's playing. Right, okay, off we go. So they helicopter me in and I get uh, to centre mic. And I think the keyboards only worked for about five minutes and then crashed completely. It was an absolute shit show. Um, so uh, that's what all pr- uh, what pride comes before a fall, they say, don't they? So it, it was a bit, it was a bit like that. That was weird. That was weird. That was weird. That was weird. We could have had that in. We could have <laughs> we, had that in. It was certainly curious. Uh, the unrelenting Uh, glamour uh, I'd have been I'd have been with you five minutes earlier but the drummer was defecating (laughs) what can I I say (laughs) oh poor Ian unfortunately the keyboards were only working while Ian was on the toilet once he actually (laughs) got onto the stage at that point the keyboard stopped working Uh, well I think we'll uh, perhaps we'll perhaps leave it there on that on that beautiful moment that I'm sure everybody can relate to. Well, we all do it, don't we? We do indeed. <laughs> we do. We do. We do indeed. We don't have a mate sitting in a helicopter waiting normally. Well, we're doing it, but can't think of that as been a moment that's ever happened to me. But you know, <laughs> probably happened a lot in Nam. <laughs> <laughs> Will you hurry up and clench, <laughs> right? <laughs> so <laughs> we've got a village to burn down. Can you hurry up? <laughs> Oh dear! I, th- these boots—you're gonna—you've now described. You said they were a pair of boots with with like a, a very, a very flat sole, very flat a sole, a zip went... straight up the front, but right. laced, laced as well. So they're kind all right, of, okay. The lace for a moment, they sounded like every pair of boots that I've ever saw an eighty-year-old wearing when I was growing up. <laughs> oh, oh, granny slippers. <laughs> yeah, they weren't in brown suede, were they? <laughs> no. Oh no. No, these are these are properly properly hard with with just a just an undercurrent of perversion about them. <laughs> okay, well they were German. Right up my street, <laughs> Ostrasser. Right up your Strasser, yes, indeed. Right up your Strasser. Right. Um, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we'll sign off with chapter <laughs> twenty-eight. There, we'll be coming back to you for twenty-nine uh, with the top five weird thing, weird things that have ever happened to Steve Hogarth. Um, and I've seen the list, and it's going to get it's going to get weirder before it gets better. Yeah, I must add the caveat that these are the top five things I can go public with that have ever happened to me. There's probably a couple that must remain forever. 
in yes. in my mind. And and no. I don't know them. So if you think that no, you know kidnapping me and trying to torch me to get them out, I don't know them. So no. I can't I can't help you. No, I can't even tell some of them to you. And as much no. as I love you, I I I. I you know, we may fall out at some point in the future. <laughs> I've got to think of my family. <laughs> think of my family. <laughs> anyway, thanks, everybody. Uh, uh, have you had any thought to what you're doing for Crooncast this week? No, I haven't. I, that is, I, I couldn't sleep last night and I was lying awake at four in the morning and that was one of the things that, that kind of, you know, went through my head. But I can't remember if I thought of a solution. Right. And are you going to are you going to start again? Because you mentioned last week that you might start round at the beginning. I guess I'll have to. I'm either right. going to have to stop Chromecasting for a little bit um, and wait till I've got a list of new purples to, to shout about, or or start again at the start again at the beginning. I, I don't know. I don't no. know. If you start again at the beginning. All those people that you missed first time round, that small group of people, would you then miss them a second time and really make them feel terrible? Have you in, have you inserted them? Oh, I've inserted them thoroughly. Right. Have you? I have. Right. What do you take me for? <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's not start on that conversation. Um, right, so, so you're not going to make the same mistake, mis- mistake, mistake twice then? Well, unless I make the mistake of making the mistake... Ah, ah, see what you did. I mean, we all make mistakes. To err is human. To fuck up completely tends to be (laughs) more in my area. (laughs) It tends to be be this, (laughs) to to be fair. Right, folks, have a great week. Um, Thanks, as always, for your support. Thanks for being purple. Thanks for the reviews. And please, if you haven't reviewed yet, please review, because it does help others. Yes. Uh, find it do you want to just tell the good people how how they do review ant do you know i can i i well you can't the one thing you can't do is if you listen on spotify you can't review on spotify spotify doesn't allow you but if you listen on something like apple or google uh, you can just go and um there there is a a space to review you uh, leaving a review is not is not complicated so have a quick look on the app it'll let you do it um you can do it on things like podbean There, there, there are places to go if you're really struggling Find me on Facebook. Drop me a line. I'll I'll I'll, I'll give you a hint. Yes. Yeah. I think I'm going to go on and say this bloke's definitely making all this shit up. It couldn't have happened to him. <laughs> well, that's like, I posted that last week. So <laughs> I did. Just, you? Yeah. Just, <laughs> just just agree with that one. Crowd round uh-huh. the bed. Get out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, th- <laughs> one final thing, actually. Do before we go. Uh, what's going to happen about Halloween? Well, am I in charge of Halloween suddenly? Well, no, 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 but nobody seems to be able to tell me what's happening. I mean, are people going around door to door? Is that all off this year? Is there no no frolicking this year? I don't know. I heard a lady on Radio 4 saying that she'd had this idea for a, what is it, a pumpkin trail and that she encouraged everybody to put pumpkins, you know, with lights inside them, carved pumpkins in their window so that the kids could go round and sort of mark them off in a sort of train spotting kind of style. Oh, okay. Okay. I don't know if that's happening, but now you've put me in charge of Halloween. I just thought I'd mention it. Right. Right. Well, that's the that's the first thing that's come out of the department of Halloween. Mm. Yeah. For my own part, I'll probably drink gin and get sloshed. 
Um, seems reasonable, doesn't it? I think it's absolutely I'm reasonable. Pers- see if I can persuade the missus to dress up as a witch. Haven't managed in other years, but no, I'm asking again. Well, well, it's always <laughs> worth it. It's always, it's always worth it. Obviously, what to, with your... Are you going to wear the pointy hat, darling? Oh, no, no, okay, fair enough. Just thought I'd ask you. <laughs> <laughs> and with that piece of wonderful insight into your into your home life, we will, we will I've, sign off. I've brought the broom. <laughs> Oh dear, oh dear. Do you, do you have anything you'd like to leave us with? Uh, hmm, I'd like to leave you with. Um, uh, oh, that's a precious situation. You keep doing this to me like I'm just going to produce some in, in, incredible germ of, of, I don't know, wisdom or humour. Mm. Um, no. No. Bugger all. Right, fine. You, I've, in left, which case, I've left you with a broom and a pointy hat. What more yeah, do you want? Yeah, what more do you want? You're on your own. You're on yes. your own, folks. Sort it out for yourselves. Yes. Yes. I nearly said something dreadful then, but I'm not going to. Right, that was it. That was it. Oh, let me just do a Halloween. Thank you, Jody Bartik. Thank you, Mark Griffin. Thank you, Zoe McIlfatrick or McIlfatrick. Thank you, Fabian Shirley or Fabian Sherl. I don't know, I'm English. And therefore, a bit ignorant. Thank you, Derek Brown. That's something I can get my head round. Thank you, David Knight. Couldn't think of a tune for crooning this week, so I thought I'd just go with the house groove. Ain't it great to be purple? Ain't it great? Thank you, everyone. If you subscribed at all. And thank you if you didn't. Perhaps you're saving up. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production. <laughs>